1: My name is Deborah Rose, and I'm your host on Circle Talk. Circle Talk is one of the shows featured on CSNP, Circle Sanctuary Network podcast. CSNP has a lineup of rotating shows through each month. Mondays feature Lunatic Mondays with host Laura Gonzalez. It can't be Tuesday without Circle Talk, and I continue to be the host for this fun discussion show on the first and third Tuesdays of each month. Wednesday features none other than Selena Fox with her show, Circle of Nature. The second and fourth Fridays of each month features Songs of the Pagan Tribe, hosted by my friend, Kern Greenman. Less talk, more pagan music, exploring the songs, the people, and the wonderful, inspiring world of pagan music. It's a great show, and you all really need to make sure you tune in. And the third Friday of each month features Blue Marble. An eco-educational, eco-restorational, and eco-spirituality podcast that features eco-activist adventures, stories about climate impacts with climate solutions, and how you individually can manifest good energy for the planet. Celebrate the next full moon online with Circle Sanctuary Community. The theme is Dragon Magic, and it takes place on Friday, February 23rd. Full Moon Circles begin at 7 p.m. Central, which is 8 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Pacific, no, 6 p.m. Mountain, or 4 p.m. Pacific. Circle Sanctuary Full Moon Circles include invocations, music, meditations, poetry, reflections, and ritual workings. They are facilitated by Circle Sanctuary Ministers, Reverend Selena Fox and Reverend Judith Sizes, plus other members of the Circle Sanctuary community. Those joining online are invited to bring a candle to Kindle during the ritual and are invited to interact with others in the chat on YouTube. Attendance is free and no registration is required. For more information, please go to circlesanctuary.org. Written from an animist perspective, the book Season Songs will teach us how to magically work with the Soviets, Moon phases, day and night, and other cycles, both small and large. Tonight on Circle Talk, I'm so excited. We're going to be chatting with author Emma Catherine, who uses personal stories, meditations, visualizations, and other exercise to inspire and deepen her practice. Um, I was lucky enough to receive an advanced copy of her book, and it's excellent, so I'm very excited to talk with her tonight. Emma Catherine lives in Nottingham, UK, so she is taking the time to call us across the pond. So we're very grateful for that. She's a staff writer at Witch Way Magazine, the House of Twigs blog, Stone Root and Bone blog, the Spiral Nature blog, and Gods and Radicals. She hosts Wild Witch Podcast and has spoken at other UK pagan events, including Magical Women Conference in London. You can visit her online at www. Dot Emma Catherine wild That's ww.ema t h r y-n w-i-l-d, w-i-t-c-h-r-t.com. Let's welcome Emma to
2: Circle Talk. Welcome Emma. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I've been looking forward to this one for so long. Oh, I'm so so excited. We're going to have to get you to the PSG or we're going to have to get you across the pond to come over here
1: and speak with us.
2: Oh, my God. Absolutely.
1: (laughs) So tell me again, um, I loved your book, but now this is not
2: your first book. It is not. No, no. Tell us about the other things you've done, too. (laughs) <laughs> so um for a long time I've written articles for websites and blogs including Gods and Radicals Which Way magazine um and I think what that really does is shows the depth of all of the things that I'm interested in I think the same it's the same for most of us you know we we put and take on lots of different hats for lots of different roles um so I love writing for those guys for lots of different reasons Which Way magazine is like just pure magic like you know that's where I can really (laughs) witch out in a nerdy way and it's awesome um but writing for places like Gods and Radicals also means that I can talk a little bit more deeply about more pressing issues that are more important. And so I have a couple of books with those guys. So Reclaiming Ourselves and Reclaiming Food, which very much kind of reclaiming ourselves spans all areas. And it talks about how we can kind of act to make ourselves a little bit more um. I don't know, I guess freer than from the things that kind of bind us down and we feel that are oppressive. So that's very much, you know, covers things like our bodies, our relationship with the land, our relationship with ourselves and our own life, you know, lifestyles that we lead. And it just looks at ways of easing those. Um, And then obviously cooking is a passion of mine, but really like back to basics cooking, you know. So, And I think most people, when they're at home and they go to their... um, kitchen cupboard and you think oh god what am I going to make for tea it's like you look at what the what you've got in there and and so it's very much like homely cooking and getting back to the basics and then of course with Llewellyn I have Witch Life which is purely purely witchcraft workings that kind of just I guess I don't know it was written in the the first Covid lockdown in the UK and I think at the time I found myself in a little bit of a slump myself and with my practice. So I was working from home. Normally I'm in the classroom teaching or writing, um, but I was working from home and it was really weird. And I just kind of found myself getting out of touch with lots of the basic things. And I think lots of us probably felt the same. It was such a strange landscape we found ourselves in. So I always describe witch life as a bit of a witch's boot up the bum to kind of get me motivated um, in very practical ways because... One thing I always bang on about is what we can do to make our crafts more practical. Um, Because I think sometimes we get bogged down in all of the theory. And I think, I don't know, maybe we fall into the trap of thinking that unless we're doing all of these big, massive things, then, you know, what's the point? But actually, I just love the the magic that's in the small, um, small things we do that are often more meaningful. And so that was witch life and then here we are with season songs <laughs> there you go there you go did you did you grow up pagan is this always been part of your spirituality um not really um i suppose when i think back now from obviously uh, my witchcraft perspective i think that we had a really good upbringing in that we you know we weren't a religious household Um, my my dad is was born in jamaica um, and my mat- my paternal grandma was very religious, you know. Um, she was devout Christian, um, but it was never anything that was her own personal beliefs. And it, you know, my father isn't religious. My mum isn't religious. Although I do describe my mum as being a bit of a hippie. <laughs> um, so we had very you know open childhood. So I think that really, I guess it's a fertile breeding ground for for letting people just discover themselves. Their own right? way. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, and mine was, was the
1: same way. I grew up in a very Christian household, but it was like, find, find what speaks to you. So I was lucky. Yeah.
2: yeah. And I think that in the UK as well, I know in some places around the world, you know, even Jamaica, Jamaica is a very Christianized country and there's, you know, areas in the States that are, you know, very... Um, devour or at least that seems to be the case from my understanding over the pond Um, so I think for people who grow up in those environments it's probably different I feel but for me we were allowed that opportunity to explore without any kind of judgment or you know so I feel really lucky for that I think. it's interesting you say that because I have found that also it seems like um,
1: in America or in different cultures you kind of have to pick I'm this or I'm that and yeah. i've been to italy several times and people there will simply say you know i'm a catholic witch i'm a i'm a christian witch i'm a jewish witch i'm just like whatever that's just yeah. part of their spirituality it's all blended i, I actually appreciate that and you're right we're we, we still are trying to let go of those puritan roots and so yeah i think that is yeah. much more
2: acceptable and i think as well when we look back at the history of particularly uh, traditional British witchcraft, a lot of it is entwined with Christianity. And, you know, it's really fascinating, and I can get really nerdy on this subject, because you look at old spells and they're, you know, they're old um, parts from the Bible written in Latin that right. the people had yeah. probably couldn't even read, but they knew what it was, and it was like a magical thing in, of, in and of itself. So I just find all of that fascinating from the cultural historical kind of folk perspective it's so fascinating. (laughs) So what inspired you to to, um, write your newest book? Well I am an animist and I am a pagan and I think sometimes I don't know I guess I was going through a stage of and I guess lots of people do it I don't know maybe I'm wrong Um, but I think when we think of the wheel of the year I think it's one of those things that people either grasp and it's meaningful to them and they love it or it's one of the things that actually people think it's not relatable to my own lifestyle it's very much based on the British and Western European agricultural calendar so for me the traditional Sabbaths fit in quite nicely with what's going on in the land but for other people it doesn't and I think What I really wanted to do was look at the wheel of the year, because I like that terminology and the idea that the seasons are not just marked by Sabbaths, but that transition of energy, the ebb and flow. Um, And I think that happens everywhere, regardless of where we live and regardless of the climate and the environment. Um, I think really fine tuning our relationships with those small cycles of the land where we live is such a powerful thing and I really wanted people to kind of rediscover the land where they live, no matter where that is. I think when, I talk, when I've when talked about animism in the past, you know, it's all well and good for me. I live in a small town, it's about um, half an hour's drive outside of Nottingham City itself and so I can go for a walk from my house and in 10 minutes I can be in the woods or I can be by the river or I can be in a lovely field and but not everybody has the opportunity and so i really wanted people to kind of just see where they live with new eyes and begin to build um or rebuild that relationship so that's kind of the starting point i think explain
1: um to listeners who may not be familiar with the term explain what you mean by animism and
2: and how it pertains pertains to your spirituality i think animism for me and you know, labels are one of those things that we use as humans, because we've got so much information coming in, and we need to categorize it, so it's useful. Um, But they can also be limiting if we are too narrow in those definitions. So I often encourage people to think about what it means for them but for me animism in a very basic way is seeing the land and nature as being alive with spirit in much the same way that we are and it's about seeing that everything within the natural world has a soul some people might take that definition further and see everything every object as having some sort of spirit or residue and you know you can look at it in magical terms in different ways you know if you think about erigors and all of that kind of stuff it gets quite interesting so but for me um as a nature nerd I think for me when I'm out in nature and I see everything the plants the trees the animals the earth you know the the rivers the oceans as all being alive with spirit and I think that kind of just encompasses everything for me And I think in terms of what does that mean for my witchcraft practice, um, not only my witchcraft practice, but I also practice Obeah, which when I'm being lazy, I'll just call an Afro-Caribbean witchcraft. But, you know, it's a magical and spiritual system that has its roots in West Africa. Um, But because my family are from Jamaica, I speak very much about Jamaican Obeah. And for me, it's kind of been a way of spanning both of those different areas um, so my mum's white English, my dad's Jamaican, and for a long time, in when I was first starting out and discovering my own kind of path, um, I, I don't know, I kept flitting from one side to the other because, you know, when when I was concentrating on this one, I felt that I was leaving the other out. And so animism actually has been a way for me to reconcile both of those different paths into one cohesive practice Um, you know there are lots of basic similarities such as working with the spirits of the land working with plants and um, items from nature and so it's been a way of really consolidating everything that i do in a really meaningful way Um, and i find that personally quite empowering in terms of what i want for myself and my practice and my witchcraft in in general terms you know
1: Great. In your book, you talk about rewilding our spirit, which I loved. Tell, tell tell our listeners how
2: they can do that. Oh, there's so many ways. And I think the first thing we have to do is just um, shrug off and put to one side all of the mundane things. And what I mean by that, it's easier said than done, obviously. But what I mean by that is, it's you know, for a long time, I'm a teacher now, and I've got that really nice work-life balance. I work in a small um, SEN, autism-specific school, so I've got a really good work-life balance, but for a long time, I worked long hours, in, you know, very laborious jobs, you know, very working class, um, hard work, and when you're in those positions you know you get up you go to work you come home you're tired so you know and you kind of eat your tea you might sit down and watch some tv and it's you know the same thing the next day and the next day and the next day and before you know it that becomes our life you know um which sounds really quite sad of course we've got all of the fun bits in between but when we get so enshrined in just that that way of being um I think we don't realise what we've lost until it's gone and we kind of have a glimpse back of, of ourselves as or, or you know, we, we get to a place and we realise, actually, this isn't what I wanted for myself. So I think rewilding ourselves can mean lots of different things to lots of different people. Um, I often talk about um, just, you know giving yourself half an hour a week, a day, you know, and you have to decide where that half an hour is going to come from. But for me, it was just like, I'd find myself sitting down just watching a couple of hours of crappy TV at night time. And you think, well, you know, I could be doing something else. So um, it sounds very kind of prescriptive, I guess, but I often say to plan to do nothing. So set that time aside for yourself. And literally spend a bit of time literally doing nothing, which is very weird, um especially for those of us who live in Western industrialized kind of countries where you know the focus is always on being productive and doing something. so I think just that act of taking the time to do nothing um is in fact an act of resistance, it's an act of rebellion, and it's about giving ourselves the time to decompress and then beginning to explore what we might want to do, because we need that time to decompress. And I think it's my work with autistic children that is actually, I've learned that from. I think I'm so lucky in, in the school that I work because it is so small and so focused and we've got lots of good things going on there. And when you look at that, you think actually, these things that we do with these children would benefit everybody, you know? And one of the things that we do a lot is, um having space to kind of process how we're feeling. And it sounds very airy-fairy, but sometimes it's just being able to recognise that when I feel tired, I can still feel happy and fulfilled. And it's about why we're tired in the first place. Does that make sense? So I always think the first thing we can do is just plan half an hour a week, if that's all you can do, to just do nothing. Sit down, let your body rest. And then once you get used to um, having that time to yourself, that's when then you can begin to explore what rewilding and connecting to the land really means for you. It, it
1: is. It is interesting. I know um, because um, I work full time. So if you work full time and yeah. you're busy, and other things, you know, you can go a week and like, you know, I haven't set out in nature. I, the only time I've been in nature when it's cold is running to my car and I really need to yeah, like you, I think it regenerates me and and uh but you have to schedule it and you have to kind of be aware uh because our lifestyle is so different than it was a hundred, two hundred years ago.
2: Yeah, and you have to be firm and set firm boundaries, you know. I saw a meme once and like memes are they're cliched, but they often have that grain of truth in them. They value. It. And it was something like, you know, give us have to set boundaries because takers rarely do. And that's quite true. And I think when we look at that um, in our day-to-day lives, how many times do people do stuff for other people, which is lovely, but sometimes people become reliant on that, or sometimes you just have to learn to say no and protect a little bit of time for yourself. So I always think setting firm boundaries um, is difficult, but once you get used to it, it can be, you know, and once you've set those firm boundaries, people tend to start respecting them a little bit more. (laughs) Absolutely. And I think women,
1: uh, which is a stereotype, but I think we tend to do self-care
2: last on our list, which is not always really good. I agree. I agree. You know, lots of times, how many women are the first ones up in the house, but then the last ones to sit down of an evening, you know. Right. Um, Yeah, I absolutely feel that as well, especially when children are involved as well and work and all of right. those pressures, and I think quite often, you know, the people around us are more than willing to help us. But I know I'm terrible for doing that. About like, no, I'll do it, I'll do it, and then I might moan about doing it.
1: <laughs> right. And somebody told me once, you have to um, leave space for other people to volunteer. And so yes, yes. I also try to to do that because I'm also like that to give a nudge to someone else to do that. Well, yes. I did actually think of you this weekend. I had dinner with a friend and her favorite, she's not pagan but her favorite thing, which I tell her is a spiritual practice, is that she's a gardener. And so this is the time of year where the seed catalogs and all the different things are coming out. And people are talking about what they're going to be doing in a couple of months. So, and I told her, um, you do a very great job and in your chapter you talk about working spiritually with plants and i thought about that so
2: tell our listeners about that yes you know i love plant work and spirit work they go hand in hand all too often we think of spirit work as working with the ancestors or the dead and you know in a way that's easier because they're familiar and they were human and Their understanding of our human experience is already there. So in a way, it's natural that we would focus on them. But spirit work is one of those things um, that encompasses everything for me. And I think that's part of my animistic perspective as well. But there's lots of ways. I think that you know, not everyone is green-thumbed, and so some people get turned off by the idea of having to maybe start from scratch, Um, if you're, like, adventurous and you want to start growing plants, I think that's the perfect way to start, you know, getting some soil, planting some seeds, and there's, there's a magic in the ritual of, so you're right, gardeners are witches as well, I don't care what they say, <laughs> you know, because... I, agree.
1: I do not have a green thumb, but I appreciate the results of someone who does.
2: Yeah, and there's a pure magic about taking this seed that is literally in some sort of suspended animation, you know, just waiting for the right conditions to spring into life. There's something magical about taking that and bringing about those conditions that allow that to happen. Um, but if you're not green and the thought of sowing seeds and all of that stuff fills you with dread, you can buy young plants and raise them. You know, you can use plants in your cooking. Um, and I think once you start raising plants, and I think herbs are always a good way to go, because they're also practical, you know, and if you haven't got a lot of space, you can just grow them on a windowsill, you can use them in your cooking and in your incense and in lots of Ways magically, um, and I think once you start doing that, you begin to realize what the plant needs and what it wants. You begin to notice how it changes and moves with the patterns of the sun through the window, or even just when you go outside, even if if growing plants is totally not for you, you know you can work with the plant spirits and I think this time of year is perfect to start because you can go out. You know, the trees are for the most part, especially where I live, still bare. Lots of the undergrowth is still bare. So you can begin to go out. If you go out now and you go out once a week, you know, every week you're going to see some change in the land where you live as things begin to grow. And just taking part and observing the that happening can be tremendous in terms of understanding that plan and what it needs and just getting a feel for the land and because even within the same space or you know similar spaces things can alter wildly so in my garden I have an elder tree and the flowers are ready about between two weeks and four weeks earlier than they are just a short while away in a more wild area so it just shows you you know you get to see how the land differs and how things have a different feeling so there's lots of little ways you can begin to get your feelers out for plant work especially if growing plants isn't your forte and you know you don't really want to (laughs) because not everybody does or they don't have the space you you do and I, I,
1: again i recommend your book holly i recommend it for people who are interested in that and like you say there are a lot of books that are you know the green witch or there's or you know the witch with the green thumb books that are just only that but you do a really good job of not talking necessarily about growing plants and necessarily that but about the plant as a spirit and communicating yeah. with the plant Tell us about that. And, and you have exercises in your book. So I really recommend people who are interested in that look at it. Tell us how you can begin to communicate with a plant, because I
2: found that very interesting. Yes. Well, again, it comes back to working uh, with children with autism, with autistic children, because what we learn is that even with our nonverbal learners, we learn that everything is communication whether we realize it or not so whether someone is how they're talking to you or not talking to you or how they're interacting with you or not interacting or even the more challenging behavior as challenging as it can be is actually communication and it's the same for um plants as well if you think about a flower if you imagine yourself walking down the street and you're walking by a beautiful garden and you get a whiff of I don't know maybe some jasmine flower because the scent of it is so strong and you know um that is communication isn't it isn't it that plan is releasing information out into the environment and you've taken it in in the form of a scent. You might then follow that scent and think, oh, what's that plan? You know, and it can roll from there. So for me, everything is communication. Um, part of it is about that taking the time to slow down and to. So, But once you've got used to doing that and you might think, what am I doing with this time? I think. Going out into one space and getting familiar with that space is is a really good starting point. And energy of it, which is something I thought about getting,
1: because, and I thought about this, this is a good time because everything is kind of dormant and slower and kind of sleepy. So, and we're getting ready to go into spring and I would imagine you could energetically feel the difference.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And I think this time of year, for me, when I first started practicing, Imoc was um, I don't know, a bit wishy washy in my own mind because I didn't really understand what it was trying to to kind of um celebrate. And I think part of the reason is because we just had the winter solstice and before that in which are like the big woohoo. Yeah. And then everyone's it's already Yeah, everyone's already thinking about Ostara and Beltane, Um, so I think this this time of year can sometimes get lost but when you start to take the time to get to know the land where you live, actually you realise it's a really powerful time of year because the energies that are abound, although they are perhaps um, a little bit more subtle, they are so strong. And again, I'll use the analogy of a seed waiting to, you know, to spring into life. Seeds, if you, you know, if you, I'm a vegetarian and at the moment I'm trying to be a bit healthy. So when I have put some seeds on my salad, you know, they are super healthy, super full of energy, which is why you have to be careful not to eat too many. Um, You know, and, and so it, It's potent. And all of that is beginning to happen unseen beneath the surface, you know, in the next few weeks or maybe already you're starting to see shoots come up in the land. So it's a really powerful time. And like you say, everything's kind of already died back from the winter and things are just starting to grow. And just even maybe going out into a garden or a park and and noticing That maybe the daffodils are starting to poke up and then just going there once a week or once a day if you can which is fabulous um, and noticing how they've grown how they've changed you know a lot of it is observation at this point but I feel observation allows us to be in that environment and actually while we're in that environment where we are a part of that environment so it's all of these small activities that can really deepen our craft and I think that's what I like about animism and um, this aspect of witchcraft you know there's lots of small things we can do at different times depending on what we've got going on depending on our own energy uh, depending on what's happening in the land there's lots of different things we can do to work with those energies whether it's Maybe you want to try growing plants. Maybe you don't. Maybe you just want to maybe get more familiar with what's growing with where you live. Maybe it's just having that time outside. You know, um, I am a big fan of just taking my morning coffee outside, whatever the weather. You know, sometimes I'll just put my dressing gown on. Sometimes it's the coat and boots because it's a bit windy. But you know what? I think just being present in that moment as um, and I'm an early riser, so it's normally dark, and then it begins to get light as I'm outside drinking my coffee. Just watching, you know, those transformative energies is really powerful. And for me, part of animism is the, sp- the spirit of inspiration and of creativity. And I think all of that comes from the land for me as well, or a good portion of it. Regular readers will know I'm always banging on about my garden in in articles or in books. <laughs> And because it, it really does inspire me, and that connection to the land has really aided my witchcraft so much. So it's,
1: yeah, <laughs> always. Good. And I'm very lucky to have a, a, a home with a porch. So yes, I've got a covered area. So it is easier. And, yes. and it's funny because something I wouldn't do if I didn't have that is I love going outside when it's raining. Mm, whether it's a storm or whatever. And, and I like, yeah, I like the energy and and I am able to do that without getting wet. So it's, it's, it is, it's, it's nice to experience um, nature like that. And and energetically, you know, it's funny, someone who, and I'm very jealous and admiring that you cook, I'm not a great cook. And, and um, I have a tendency to buy my herbs at a store Um, dried much rather than growing them myself, but something I am interested in from your book and talk a little bit about, I had never thought about, I go through gallons of incense. I use incense all the time. Talking about making your own incense with herbs, tell us about that.
2: Yeah. Oh, do you know what? I love making incense. It's one of those things, if you're feeling a little bit like you've not done anything for a little while and you want to get a little bit practical, crafting incense and burning incense is, oh, I love it. It's, and especially when you're burning it, sometimes it's just as simple as I'm going to make this incense, I'm going to light a little white tea light candle and I'm just going to sit and burn this incense. And that's my practice for, for, for right. this day. You know, it sounds so simple, but until you do it, I don't think you realize, you know, the shift in when the lights go down and that dim light. It's a good word. It
1: absolutely transforms. It puts you in a different space. Absolutely. It becomes a trigger for
2: me. Incense becomes a trigger yeah, that I'm getting to do something spiritual. Yeah, same for me too. Absolutely. And I think that's why, you know, um, plant work is such an important aspect because there is nothing there's absolutely nothing wrong with buying your herbs from from the shop and i do grow plants but i grow a few so quite often my incense is made from what i have in my cupboard and i think i quite like the traditional element of that when i think back to people in the past who would have practiced that's what they would have used they would have used what they had especially people who might have been poorer and i think we can say that a lot especially when we look at history, a lot of witches have been people who have been on the poorer end of the spectrum making use of what they've got. So there's absolutely nothing wrong with buying curbs, you know, for cooking and for use magically. But yes, um, and even if you don't have to um, buy them or grow them, you can go out and forage them. So, and that's another way you can begin to connect with the land where you live. Um, I love foraging. (laughs) I'm quite often seen with a bag and some scissors or some secateurs or a knife, uh, taking bits off plants here and there. Um, so yeah, there's there's so many ways you can get your magical incre- ingredients for your incense making. Um, all of which can aid your relationship with the land where you live. But for me, it's that physical act um of working with the plant. Um you know, because you're using, when we think about incense and what when we craft incense, what are we hoping to do? We're hoping to take aspects of that plant, whether they're going to be medicinal, whether they're going to be correspondences or things we associate with them. And we get those correspondences from the plant spirits, you know, whether we know it or not, a lot of the work we do with plants, it's it's based on history, isn't it? All of the grimoires, all of the books that we use, all of that information is, is held collectively by by people. Uh, and so we're always drawing on that connection between the plan and people. And for me, um, that's really magical and really potent and hints at the, the symbiotic relationship that we have with the land around us. So yeah, it's I can get really nerdy on this.
1: <laughs> you mentioned something which is interesting. Um, again, you know, for a, a thousand years, uh, myself, like many other practitioners, worked with the elements and they work with things. But something I would say in the last 10 years that has come into a lot of people's um, rituals and workings is the idea of working with the land. And you mentioned that. Tell, for, so for a lot of people, that's a new concept. Talk to why you think um, working uh, with the land is spiritually important for you. Because that um, is actually a newer practice for me within the last 10 years or so.
2: Yeah, it's definitely part of that reclaiming process of making ourselves more wild, of reclaiming our own connection to the land. And, you know, historically, um, we were much closer to the land, especially, you know, pre-industrial revolution. If you look into, like, the commons and and land ownership and how people... You know had access to the land uh, and as capitalism has kind of taken over the land has been taken from from the ordinary people you know um so it part of it is that we've lost what we had before so for people who don't know like um pre-industrial revolution the land was you know and it's not ideal either you know I'm not someone who thinks well we need to go back to the past constantly but actually looking back at the past helps us to understand where we are now and so if we look at the land you know um, the land would have been owned by the king or would have been shared out to the lords who then would have you know leased it to farmers and there would have been actual common land okay it might not have been the most valuable land in terms of the resources there. But people would have had access to that land to raise and uh, graze uh, sheep and cattle, um, that kind of thing, they would have been able to take resources from the land, you know. And so, although it sounds like it's we're always taking from the land, actually, if you think about it, the people would have had to care for that land as well if, if they wanted to kind of still keep uh, being able to survive there. Um, And as kind of the land capitalism kind of take over, the land was partitioned off and uh, transferred into private ownership. And so over the years, we get to now where um, unless you're lucky enough to buy a piece of land, most people don't own land. And so already that connection to the land in terms of um, how we rely on it. I mean, we still rely on the land for our survival, but it's almost... Uh, removed you know we're once removed or twice removed from the processes that our ancestors would have relied on and so um, part of get working with the land is just getting back to, to um, knowing the land you know I think that's the first aspect knowing the land where we live and I think in paganism I say it a lot that we often romanticize you know the idea of the wild wood or the deep ocean or the high mountain and those places are profoundly magical but actually so are the everyday places we live and so for me the process of seeing beginning to see where we live with new eyes and just awakening ourselves to what's already going on there is is one of the biggest ways we can start working with the land because once we once we kind of remove the blinkers and see the land where we live with new eyes it it allows us to um to then interact with it in ways that are meaningful to us. So for me, and but it doesn't have to be massive. I think one of the things I'm a big fan on is keeping things basic because if people do the basics often, you know, that's how you improve. For a long time, I used to box and kickbox in the ring, especially kickboxing when you can do lots of fancy kicks and, you know, all of that stuff. But actually, the basics are your bread and butter. The basics are what pull you through the hard times. And so getting back to those basics and re-familiarising ourselves with them in very basic ways, such as going out for a walk, of sitting in the land, of taking a picnic out or, you know watching how a tree changes through the seasons of the year all of those are really meaningful ways and as you do that it's you don't really notice at first that relationship building it's only when you look back and you think actually where i started from is is so far back and i've come on so much so it's it's a really i don't know it's a beautiful journey i think
1: well we'll tell our listeners um your book is divided up in your chapters and your chapters called songs and yes. you have songs of day and night songs of the moon songs of like a uh, spring, summer, winter, fall. And so it's very, very organized. Um, the other thing that you do that I really like, like in your chapter of um, the songs of the day and night, you give um, your explanations of days of the week, planetary hours, different things you can do. Um You also do the magic of the sunrise, sunset, which I liked. But your book also has rituals in it that people can follow. Very simple, not a lot of of things that you need to do, and also exercises. So you do a really good job of taking that information and giving us a way to explore it ourselves. Uh, Talk about something that I actually have done and kind of your book reminded me is because I'm – um, many people who follow those paths seem to, they li- live in the we hours of night. If I could go to bed at every day at, at 9.30 at night, I'd be happier. I am definitely not a night owl. But I have done, and you do an exercise for sensory midnight, which is, I think, a very excellent exercise. And I have done that. And it's also as a reminder that sometimes we need to do things to kind of reorientate ourselves or to, to have that, Experience because you can't really visualize the power of midnight if you've never done it. Yes.
2: Yeah. And, you know, tell us about that
1: experience and why you included exercises. Because I thought that was a really good thing in your book.
2: Yeah. I think you hit the nail on the head there when you said it's about. giving readers the chance to explore those for themselves because we are all individuals and we all have our own tastes, our own what we like, what we don't like, and we all have different constraints on us and all of these things kind of change how we perceive things, sometimes only subtly, sometimes massively so, and so it's really important that people experience these things for themselves because my experiences at midnight will be different from yours and will be different from the next person's and so on and so forth Um, and even if you find that the exercise or is uncomfortable maybe you're not comfortable being up at that time of night or you know at least then you have that experience of it that you can draw on should you need to you know and also it's one of those things that you can say you've done it then you know and in a way that I can always remember the first time like I went into the woods at, at, as an adult, as a witch after nightfall. And I'm always in the woods like in the day. And it's such a different experience. Even if you just go with, say, one other person, it's so different. It's almost alien and it becomes a, a new place that you've never encountered before. Um, And it's not a comfortable place necessarily to be in. Um But experiencing that, it allows you to kind of question why you're uncomfortable. Sometimes the fears are legitimate and sometimes they're just what we've kind of gathered along the way. And all of this just helps us to understand ourselves a little bit more. So if we can understand ourselves a little bit more, then we can bring that out into the wider, you know, and we can begin to um, understand how we react to the land and with the land a little bit more as well.
1: So that and your, um, it's funny, you talked about how um, in any book, it's really hard to ignore the moon because it is so synonymous (laughs) with our practice. And uh, you do a really good job
2: in talking about working with the moon too. Oh, thank you. Yeah, the moon's important to us, right? You know, (laughs) you can't really mention witchcraft without mentioning the moon, (laughs) Um, And I think, you know, we're all familiar with the cycles. But for me, again, it comes back to how can we take that knowledge that that we already have of the moon? And there's lots of wonderful books out there. But how can we take that knowledge and relate it to our understanding of the land where we live and ourselves in a meaningful but practical way? You know, for me, that's always the the end result is how can we become um, more practiced in our craft? For me, witchcraft is very practical. Um, But I also understand that when times are tough, it can like whole weeks can go by and you think you can think I haven't done anything because I've been so rushed off my feet. So for me, finding the small practical ways, whether that's working with the moon or working with the different um, sabbats, for me, it's how can we do that in a practical way that is accessible? Um, because once something becomes accessible and we do it it becomes more important to us and then it's easier to find the time for that rather than always putting it off because you know we often put our own needs last when you know when we care about people or when we feel we've got responsibilities so it's about just finding that time. Absolutely and you do life gets busy I mean I travel
1: I have grandchildren I'm always running around and and again, I had somebody call me and like, are we going to get together and do something for InVolk? I'm like, "In bulk, oh my gosh, it is. It's <laughs> like, oh my gosh, where did January go for me? So it is, it's just life, you know, and, and again, it gets into it. Well, you know what? It's funny a lot, and you're right. Um, I tend to like InVolk because a, a lot of folks who, um, especially who um, practice in traditional manners tend to view Samhain as the new year. That's the beginning of their, Mm -hmm. of their year. For me, that energetically has never made sense for my lifestyle only because, um, and they talk about as the world gets dark, you, you go um, under, you get very introspective. I don't, I very much live in this world with my family. And so from, um, salon or Halloween until the first of the year is nothing but parties and families and there's yeah. no <laughs> thoughts in my house so it, I have always felt like in bulk was like the beginning for me and it's funny because that's when I tend to start a new planner I tend to get my word of the year I tend to get what my I do a word of the year for six months and I tend to do like what are my goals and it's funny I just simply do it at in bulk mm-hmm. because it just This is the time again that everything is, for me in bulk is the season of pregnancy because spring is growing, we just don't know it. Mm -hmm. So I do recognize, but people already have spring fever. So uh, people are are ready and and in our country, it has been in our area, particularly colder Mm -hmm. than normal. Um, You know, we typically don't see um, zero type temperatures and we've seen minus temperatures, which is kind of tired of (laughs) of our, you know, it's like you should love all the seasons. Well, apparently we don't. We're tired of of code. So talk about an example of your songs of spring. Tell us about in your book. um,
2: Tell us about the spring or what you do. Because you talk about Ostera and it's excellent. So tell us about that. Yes. Well, you know, the idea of songs, because for me, songs are a beautiful, and I can't sing. Nobody wants to hear me sing. Birds will fall from the sky. (laughs) Um, But songs are a really beautiful way of exploring our connections with lots of different things. You know, if you think about the songs we listen to when we're sad or when we're happy, you know, um they just are really good at exploring mood and how we feel and things that are often too difficult to talk about, you know. So um, for me, I think it was the perfect analogy for how we can often feel about the land without necessarily knowing that what we feel has a name or, you know, that people have been doing it for thousands of years. Um, so the idea of songs was really poignant, I think, Um and for me, songs are poetry as well. And again, we can in poetry we can use metaphor in lots of different ways to talk about things that are, can be quite difficult to necessarily understand or to want to kind of bring forth. But for me, spring. Uh, and again, you're right. I see Imok as being the beginning. Um, And, you know, we talk about I think we often romanticise our ancestors and the way they did things. Um, Not to say that we shouldn't, you know, but I think it's just fun. I mean, yeah. I mean, a lot of people, it's a time of grief, but Salon can also be very fun and people, it's very yeah. witchy. So people yeah. kind of get into that mood. Yeah. Yeah. And and I think for me, you know, we very much use the Gregorian calendar day and it's what shapes our life. So for me, new year is new year. And perhaps that's just because of that, but it's what all I've known. And, you know, so right. for me, exploring the idea of sarwain as being the new year just didn't sit right with me personally in my own way of how I live so so I agree um it is the 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 time of pregnancy um because that our star will be lambing season you know <laughs> so um yeah but for me I can always remember there was a time and I was just and this is a perfect example of finding the magic in those mundane times. I was just going to the local shop to pick up my lunch before popping back home. My friend picks me up, we do car share. And um, I was just walking back home and it was one of those mornings. So February where I live, it's either kind of really spring-like or it's like typical winter. Sometimes you can start out like one and end in the other, you know, Um, which is why I think it's a really potent time energetically you've got all of these kind of competing forces um and anyway I was just coming home and it was really early in the morning probably just after 7am you know and it was just starting to kind of get light in the east and the sky was beautiful it was a full moon and the sky was beautiful one part of it was all purple and kind of dawn you know that kind of dusky feel to it where um sort of pastel purples and pinks and then the other part was like nighttime still and it was just so beautiful and I was just struck like walking down this little jitty way on my way back to home you know just a normal typical street so people just starting to maybe begin to go to work and just in that moment of that mundane activity in that mundane time of kind of thinking about work and what I'm going to do I was just struck by, you know, the the sky, the feel of the cold air on my face, the blackbirds singing in the bushes unseen beside me. And it was just deeply, deeply magical. And, you know, I think everybody has those moments. And I think the springtime is perfect for exploring those moments, because spring is fun, you know, it's, it, it's fun. Um, so yes, I, the spring does hold a special place, I think, and especially. Um, so I also practice voodoo, and Imolk, or the second of February is Mamman Bridget's feast day. Um, so Mamman Bridget is a is a lower um, off of the Gui day, so she's very much associated with death. Many people might know her as the wife of Baron Sandy, and she's the figure you see with the often with the painted face and the rose in her hair, you know. And although we often think of her and Aaron Samdi at uh, Samhain and Day of the Dead and all of that stuff, actually the Gide are also associated with spring. And for me, that just highlights that spring, you don't get life without death Um and, you know, the cycle of life and all of, they're very connected, aren't they? Life and death, you know, I think, we see that a lot in pregnancy not well even now you know it can be a, a difficult the first three months can be really difficult um you know and, and it's the time where the most dangers can happen so i think you know actually there's a subtleness to to imok that we don't necessarily consider um and for me that's really potent the and it's highlighted in that story i just told you know the dark of the night and the 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 growing light of the the new day and for me just taking the time to kind of think about how all of these experiences kind of coalesce and work together to inspire us is just so magical. So if you had to um, leave our listeners
1: with a final thought or about your book uh, and why they should purchase it, it's excellent. I think they should purchase it. <laughs> what well, would you? Well, what would you
2: want them to draw from it? Um, I would want them to kind of reconfigure the Wheel of the Year to make it meaningful to them, to base it on what's happening in the land where they live and the, what they observe and what they interact with. Um, and in that way, I think we can begin to kind of rewild ourselves, our magical practices and rewild the Wheel of the Year so it becomes more relevant to our own individual circumstances because I feel like it is one of those things that perfectly sums up our growing connection and our continuing connection to the land. Um, you know, these things are always ongoing and I always say it's the, the journey is the destination rather than the, you know, <laughs> uh, that's what we want, that journey, rather than the end result and it's something that we will carry with us forever, so.
1: Do you have... um? another book or do you have another project that you're working
2: on oh i always have projects i, I don't know why i do it to myself <laughs> i could do if there being be an extra day in the week or a few hours in the day um yes i have so i do wild witch podcast um so if people can head over to my website tell us about and- that where can they find that can they find it on apple and spotify and all those places or where can they yeah. find your podcast um yeah Spotify is the main one. I think everybody, a lot of people have Spotify. But yeah, most most of the um, podcast um, places, you can get it. Um, you can head over to my website where you can find the links to episodes. And I just, the latest episode was great because I spoke to a folk singer and it was just perfect. And, you know, oh, it's, just, it's just really a way for me to nerd out even more. <laughs> um, well, I definitely will put it on, because I'm a podcast girl too. And I will definitely put it on my uh on my list to listen to yeah sometimes you just get a bit sick of listening to music you know when I'm like doing my housework I might just want to listen to something else instead so podcasts are perfect
1: <laughs> yeah I travel and so driving when you're you know when you're driving 10 hours in the car yes I uh yeah podcaster
2: does great makes the time go by fast oh Perfect. But yes. And then, you know, um, I'm always writing for the websites that we spoke about earlier. So I'm um, my own. And yeah, um, I'm sure there'll be a book <laughs> in the pipeline as well.
1: <laughs> well, I really enjoyed your book and it was um, it was great. And thank you so much for uh, um, taking the time. And, and, and like you, I like the Will of the Year. I like the um, and I like how you said that the energies change in the season, which I think that they um, do. And so I think I think your book is an excellent blend of of practical information, folklore, things to think about, and exercises. So and I find that that's really important that people. Um, again, I I teach students and people will say, you know, I've. I've read these five books on candle magic and I have a candle. I'm not sure what to do. So I think that getting information and then be able to put it in practical. um, And again, I think this is a book for people who are new and who are exploring and experienced practitioners. Because like I said, I really enjoyed it. And there were things that I remembered like, oh, yes, I, I should do that again. And things that were maybe a new twist for me. That, oh,
2: that says,
1: that. oh, I need to, I need to explore and
2: I need to think about that. and I need to try that. So, so well done. You did a great job. Oh, thank you. And that's exactly what I hope that people can pick it up and, you know, use it to enhance their own experiences and to grow their own connections. All right. Thank you. Well, you are
1: welcome to come back again anytime. Oh, thank you so much. I had so much fun. <laughs> and thank you so much for working with me. Uh, again, there's a big time difference between you. Okay. Oh, I appreciate and it so much. We're pre recording this, and it was funny because initially I'm like inviting you, and you're like, okay, well, that's like in the middle of the night for me. So, anyway, so <laughs> you are my first international guest. So, oh, uh, so I'm very, very excited and, and kudos to you for working with me. And it was, Dad loved your book, um, and so it was definitely worth it. So I'm I'm glad to introduce you to um, to our listeners. I think they're going to uh, enjoy your book. I hope so. Thank you so much. Well, and, and I know our listeners are going to love your newest book. And again, it's called Season Songs: Rediscovering the Magic and the Cycles of Nature by Emma Catherine. Besides Emma, I want to thank Stephen, our sound engineer, for his technical expertise. And finally, I'd like to thank all of you out there, our listeners, for your continued support of all of our shows here on Circle and Sanctuary Network podcast, CSNP. Join us. Our next Circle Talk is March 5th, and we're going to be talking with Monica Crosson about her new book, A Year in the Enchanted Garden, uh, Just in Time for Spring, is what we were talking about earlier. I look forward to being with you all again, so please good, come back. Good night, everyone, and blessed be.
0: Thank you for joining us on the Circle Sanctuary Network
1: podcast
0: presented by Circle Sanctuary and produced for all who follow nature-centered paths. Join us throughout the week for various programming connecting with the community around the world. Please don't forget to watch for updates on the Circle Sanctuary website at www.circlesanctuary.org. Follow us on Facebook at facebook.com backslash csn podcast we can also be found on your favorite podcast hosting sites such as itunes stitcher spotify and others until next time many blessings